When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Here's your host, Jake Crumpler. What's up, fellow fantasy managers? Welcome back to another episode of the First Pitch Podcast brought to you by PitcherList.com. My name is Jake Crumpler, and it's the weekend, so as always, I'll be taking over for Bubba as the host of the weekend editions of the podcast. You can follow me at Jake Crumpler on Twitter and can find all of my work at CrumplerBaseball.com. Let's dive into everything baseball-related from Friday, June 16th. We'll kick it off, as always, with the transactions, injuries, news, and notes from around the league. And boy, do we have a lot to go over today. We'll kick off our IL placements with third baseman Max Muncy of the Dodgers being placed on the 10-day IL with a strained left hamstring. Doesn't sound too serious right now, so he'll likely won't miss more than a week. Infielder Michael Bush was recalled from the minors in a corresponding move, but uh, David Peralta has seen the biggest influx of playing time for the Dodgers with Chris Taylor moving to the hot corner. But if Peralta continues to post a below league average line, Bush could take over in the infield. The 25-year-old left-handed hitting infielder has a 133 WRC plus in 45 games at AAA this year. Starting pitcher Mike Clevenger was our other IL placement as he hit the 15-day IL for the White Sox with right biceps inflammation. The right-hander has turned things around after a slow start and currently sits with a 3.88 ERA, but he might not be worth the hold considering he's rocking a 5.43 XFIP, which indicates future regression once he returns from the IL. It's not yet clear who will take his spot in the rotation for the next two weeks as they're currently sitting with four guys, but we'll definitely get an idea once his spot in the rotation comes back around. In terms of transactions, we got a lot of prospects coming up, starting off with starting pitcher Emmett Sheehan of the Dodgers as he was promoted to the majors to make his MLB debut. So many starters on the IL for the Dodgers and Michael Grove returning to the minors. There was a necessity for a new starter in LA. Sheehan deservedly got the call after impressively pitching to a 1.86 ERA with a 41.7% strikeout rate across 53 and a third innings pitch at double A. That 186 ERA leads all qualified double A pitchers. Pretty crazy. The 23-year-old 2021 sixth round pick was ranked by MLB Pipeline as just the 13th best Dodgers prospect. And they had his 65 grade fastball being his best skill. Prospect rankers have got to be kicking themselves after Sheehan dominated the Giants in his debut to the tune of six no-hit innings with just two walks and three strikeouts. He racked up just four whiffs with a 21% CSW, so nothing super dominant. So this start may be a bit misleading as he didn't feature the elite strikeout ability he showed in the minors and got very lucky on balls in play. You sort of have to trust the Dodgers if he remains in the rotation, which is likely after a start like this one, he'd line up to face the Angels in his next outing. And I'd be a bit wary of that considering how lucky he was in this start. But like I said, you got to trust the Dodgers here and you have to trust that minor league track record. This could be a guy to hold on to. And that first start was a lot of fun to watch. Elsewhere, utility man Samad Taylor of the Royals was recalled from the 
the minors. The 24-year-old 2016 10th rounder is ranked as just the 19th best prospect in a weak Royal system, according to MLB Pipeline. He doesn't have a spot open for him in the lineup. As a right-handed hitter, he didn't even start against a lefty on his first day in the majors. However, Taylor has wheels. He's stolen 34 bases in 62 games at AAA, which is the third highest total in AAA. He has supported his speed with great plate discipline and a 123 WRC plus. So he'll need some room in the lineup, but Taylor could be an elite speed option if given an opportunity. Elsewhere, first baseman Spencer Horwitz was recalled from the minors for the Blue Jays. While the 25-year-old first baseman played for Team Israel in the WBC, he's just the 18th-ranked Blue Jays prospect. That's despite batting 300 with just four more strikeouts than walks. His lack of power, though, is apparent, but the contact and discipline numbers are impressive. However, he doesn't have an everyday spot in the lineup and will likely be relegated to entering the lineup only versus select righties. Starting pitcher Wade Miley of the Brewers is expected to be activated from the 15-day IL today. The lefty has missed a month with a lat injury, but prior to the injury, he pitched to a 3.79 ERA across eight starts. His return will push Adrian Hauser into a bullpen role. Elsewhere in the NL Central outfielder, Tyler O'Neill was transferred to the 60-day IL as he deals with a lower back strain. O'Neill was finally cleared to begin throwing, but now the earliest he can return is Independence Day. And lastly in the NL Central, starting pitcher Justin Steele is expected to be activated from the 15-day IL today by the Cubs. He didn't miss much more than the minimum with a forearm injury and Steele will look to return and build upon the 265 ERA he posted prior to the injury. He lines up to take on the Orioles at home in his return. In terms of news, outfielder Harrison Bader of the Yankees is expected to return on Tuesday and starting pitcher Tristan McKenzie was scratched from his start due to issues with his elbow. He got an MRI and the Guardians will determine in the coming days whether or not he'll require another IL stint. He missed a lot of time to start the season on the injured list. The Guardians also designated catcher Mike Zanino for assignment. The move will set Cleveland's number three prospect Bo Naylor to rejoin the roster. He's exhibited elite plate discipline with just three more strikeouts than walks. He's walking a ton. He's also blasted 13 dingers in 60 games. He's baseball's number seven catching prospect. So with Zanino out of the way, he could be worth picking up in a lot of leagues. Now we'll look at the notable performances from around the league, a day in which we had every single team in action. And boy, was it an action-packed day. We'll start with our hitters, leading off with Justin Turner versus the rival Yankees as he helped the Red Sox to a big win. He went three for five with three runs, a pair of home runs, a double, and six RBI. He's up to 10 home runs now on the season. Both of his home runs had an exit velocity of at least 101 miles per hour. And even at the age of 38, Turner keeps raking. After hitting just 13 home runs last year, it's good to see that his power has returned to stave off father time consistently hitting in the top third of a sneaky good Red Sox lineup Turner will continue to be one of the more reliable hitters in fantasy baseball it won't be too flashy because he doesn't stand out in any one category but you'll be able to count on him week in and week out I think Turner's most valuable format is points thanks to his great plate discipline but I think he's pretty much rosterable in all 12 team leagues Masataki Yoshida also aided in the route in Boston as he had a perfect day at the plate going four for four with a run, two doubles, and three RBI. If there were any lingering questions about how Yoshida would fare stateside, they have all but disappeared by now. His 309 average currently places him second in the American League, trailing only Bo Bichette among qualified hitters. Yoshida's an elite option in every format, especially points because of his aversion to whiffing. Travis Starnote of the Braves helped his team to a win versus the Rockies going two for four 
before with a pair of home runs. He scored twice and knocked in four runs. His first home run traveled 474 feet with a 109.6 mile per hour exit velocity and the second one traveled 433 feet with a 110.2 mile per hour exit velocity. Both homers were absolute blasts but the former long ball was the 15th homer of at least 450 feet hit by the Braves this year. No other team in 2023 has more than six and the single season team record is 19 set by the 2021 Rockies. The 15 homers already tie for the most by a non-Colorado team tying the 2017 Marlins and 2017 Yankees but this has been an impressive display of moonshot power from the Braves this year. All of this data is via Sarah Langs. But back to Darnold, he doubled his home run total with the duo of dingers on Friday. Darnold is only in a part-time role with Sean Murphy being the main option behind the plate for the Braves. But if this begins a hot streak for him, he could start seeing more time at DH. Darnold's not an option in anything shallower than a 15-team NL only with two-catcher league until he gets regular playing time, though. Matt Vierling of the Tigers helped his team to a win in Minnesota, going three for four with three runs, a pair of home runs, and two RBI. Both of his home runs traveled at least 425 feet with an exit velocity of at least 104 miles per hour, and he's up to seven home runs on the season now. Batting in the bottom half of a weak Detroit lineup, though, Vierling isn't the most enticing option, but that didn't stop him from joining the duo homer club on Friday. This game may be him capitalizing on the regression that he was due for. Entering the game, his average was 22 points below his expected average, and his slugging percentage was 54 points below his expected slug. Now, I don't think this necessarily means he's beginning an expected hot streak, but in AL-only leagues where league average players that start every day are rosterable, Vierling fits that mold. Luis Arias continued his hot season in Washington, helping the Marlins to a win, going a perfect five for five with two runs, a home run, and three RBI. He's up to two home runs on the season now. The 400 watch remains on for just a little longer as Arias' perfect night raised his average up to 390. The home run was a nice surprise as well, but I wouldn't expect more than a handful of those the rest of the year. And finally, we'll wrap things up with Christopher Morel versus the Orioles as he helped the Cubs to a win, going three for five with two runs, a home run, a double, and three RBI. It wasn't the biggest performance on the day, but it was notable nonetheless. His home run traveled 423 feet with a 107.1 mile per hour exit velocity, but the main reason I added him on here is because it seemed as though the league had finally caught up with Morel. From the day they ended his five-game homer streak on May 24th through June 9th, Morel notched just two hits, batting just 063 with a 32% strikeout rate during that time, but his bat has come back to life since June 10th. The homer on Friday was his third in the last six days, and that comes with a 478 average and just an 8% strikeout rate. The strikeouts will keep Morel a streaky hitter, but if this is a new version and it sticks, we may have a monster on our hands. If he qualified right now, his current 1,063 OPS would lead the major leagues. But if you'd like a breakdown of the notable batting performances from Friday, make sure to check out the Daily Batters Box article over on PitcherList.com. Now we'll head to the rotation and look at the notable starting pitching performances from Friday's opening with Joe Ryan versus the Tigers as the Twins went home with a loss. He tossed seven innings, allowing seven hits and six earned runs with no walks and seven strikeouts, though he did rack up 20 whiffs and a 30% CSW as one bad inning ruined an otherwise exceptional performance from Ryan. His fastball racked up 15 whiffs and a 35% CSW and it helped him earn a share of the gallows pole with those 20 whiffs. If you just glanced at the box score, you'd guess this was a bad start for Ryan, but he was bit by a couple of homers in the third and was able to settle down and deliver for the rest of the game. This doesn't change Ryan's outlook for the season or in his next start as he takes on the Red Sox in his next outing. 
Speaking of a share of the Gallows poll, JP Sears was the other guy to share that with Ryan, but he also was stuck with a tough luck loss, tossing seven innings, allowing four hits and four on runs with no walks and seven strikeouts. He had 20 whiffs and a 31% CSW. And while this start ended a streak of six straight starts with two earned runs allowed or fewer, Sears still earned a share of the Gallows Bowl. His fastball was lethal with 12 whiffs and a 33% CSW. And Sears has sort of been overshadowed by the ineptitude of his team, but he's been the best starter in Oakland all year. PLV absolutely loves him and rates his fastball among the top 10% in baseball. He's not a must start every time out and he won't have too many wins with just one to his name thus far, but Sears is an enticing option from time to time and may be worth the stream in leagues 12 teams or deeper next week when he heads to Cleveland. Sears was prevented from earning that win because Taiwan Walker had a big game in Oakland, tossing eight innings, allowing just seven hits and one on run with no walks and eight strikeouts. He had 11 whiffs and a 30% CSW. His velocity was up across the board and he had great control of his sinker cutter combo. However, Walker isn't more than a low level Toby, but he'll have the rare night like this where his full repertoire is on point and he gets lucky on balls in play, but I don't even think that was the case here. I think we can just blame this on the A's week lineup. Walker's a clear avoid in his next start versus the Braves. Andrew Abbott had another big game in Houston, earning the win and helping his team to the win, tossing six scoreless innings, lying four hits, just two walks and two strikeouts. He racked up just four whiffs and a 27% CSW, and he's continued his scoreless streak to start his career as he's up to 17 and two-thirds innings, but he's still got a long way to go to catch Andrew Albert's record of 39 scoreless innings to start his career. And while it's been fun to watch Abbott get off to such a hot start and it comes off a very successful run in the minors, regression is about to hit him hard. His XFIP is coming comfortably above five thanks to an unspectacular strikeout minus walk rate poor batted ball metrics and tons of fly balls i'd hold on for maybe one more start because of the prospect pedigree and the fact that he gets rocky road next but if you want to sell high on abbott at his peak now might be the time while his era is still pristine now for some aces, Zach Gallen in Cleveland earned the win, tossing seven innings, allowing six hits with one earned run, no walks, and seven strikeouts. He had 19 whiffs and a 40% CSW. Gallen continued his Cy Young caliber campaign by earning the King Cole in this one with that 40% CSW, and I'm excited for his encore in Milwaukee. Next, in terms of aces that aren't having as much success, Yu Darvish was stuck with the loss, tossing five innings, allowing eight hits and six earned runs, walking just one while striking out five. He had eight whiffs and a 31% CSW, and it was an uncharacteristically terrible start for Darvish who has been doing that quite often this season. His current 4.74 ERA would be a career worst by a wide margin. The thing is, his pitcherless player page is filled with red bar graphs and he's greatly underperforming his ERA estimators. So I'm expecting a summer during which Darvish turns things around. So now might be a good time to buy low before he heads to San Francisco next week. And lastly, speaking of uncharacteristically terrible seasons, Sandy Alcantara fits that mold better than anyone. He tossed five and a third innings against the Nationals but he allowed 10 hits with fire and runs. He walked nobody, but he struck out just one. He racked up seven whiffs and a 19% CSW. His ERA narrowly sits below five at this point after winning the NL Cy Young Award last year. Sandy has been one of my favorite pitchers for the past couple of years. So I've got my fingers crossed he can figure something out to turn things around. And while he's been nowhere near the pitcher he was last year, his swinging strike rate has actually been elite and suggests his sub 20% strikeout rate is a fluke. Additionally, PLV absolutely loves him and suggests his sinker is among the best 5% in the league. And while I don't expect Alcantara to get back to last year's heights, I sincerely believe he'll be fantasy viable in every format going forward, even with the Blue Jays on the horizon. But if you'd like a breakdown of every single start from Friday, give the Plus Pitch Podcast a listen and check out Nick's daily starting pitcher roundup over on pitcherlist.com. 
Now we'll head to the bullpen and look at the pitchers that got saves and the closers that pitched outside of save situations or blew their saves. Starting off with the saves guys, Pete Fairbanks needed just two pitches to get two outs after Sean Armstrong put the tying run on deck. So he earned the save for the second day in a row. Jordan Romano became the second closer to record 20 saves. Sam Bachman had a two inning save with the first of his career. Paul Sewald recorded his 13th save. AJ Puck his eighth and Devin Williams his 11th. Alexis Diaz earned his 18th save to tie for the National League lead. And Jacob Junis earned his first save in the 11th inning after Camilo Duvall blew his save in the 9th. In terms of closers pitching outside of save situations, Scott McGuff and Andrew Chafin, both high leverage guys for the Diamondbacks pitch with a four-run lead in the Diamondbacks win. But if you'd like a breakdown of the notable relief pitching performances from Friday, check out the Daily Reliever Ranks article over on PitcherList.com. And before we look forward to today, we're going to take a quick break. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Now we'll look forward to Saturday, June 17th, a day in which we'll have another full slate of 15 games. My matchup of the day is Zach Eflin versus Blake Snell. Not the biggest names, but Snell's been on fire recently and Eflin has been great all year long. In terms of probable starters, we got six guys in the auto start tier, including Bobby Miller versus the Giants, Logan Gilbert versus the White Sox, and Mitch Keller in Milwaukee. Our probably start tier has seven guys, and that's where we'll find our streamer of the day in Griffin Canning in Kansas City. He's not the best starter, but the Royals lineup is absolutely terrible right now especially with their best hitter Vinny Pasquantino hitting the IL and Salvador Perez dealing with an injury so I'd basically start anybody against them right now I'd also keep an eye out for Kyle Gibson on the north side of Chicago he's sort of a cherry bomb but he can take down basically any lineup when he's going well and the Cubs lineup isn't the most dangerous in baseball in terms of hitter suggestions I'd once again target the twins going against Joey Wentz who has a 7-2-3 ERA Royce Lewis is a good option if he's available in your league which is not highly likely Willie Castro though is probably there and for his career he's 10% better as a right-handed hitter Uh, just a reminder he's a switch hitter and Wentz is a lefty and lastly Kyle Farmer has a career 121 WRC plus versus southpaws which is 47% better than his mark against righties so he's a lefty killer that should have a big game against Joey Wentz and finally we'll close things out with our relievers to watch Pete Fairbanks has pitched on consecutive days so Jason Adams should be the go-to option today for the Rays and Alexis Diaz has gone in three of the last four days so we could see Lucas Sims Voltress save today for the Reds. But that'll do it for today's episode of the First Pitch Podcast. Make sure to head on over to PitcherList.com to check out all the great articles and features we have on the site, including fantastic player pages and daily DFS suggestions. Join PL Pro to gain access to the Discord to interact with PitcherList staff such as myself and members of the community, as well as to utilize the in-season tools to help you win your leagues. That'll wrap up this edition of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler. Tune in tomorrow and every day for a new installment of the podcast and make sure to enjoy the day 
means we are blessed with another day of baseball. This has been the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at PitcherList, and help support what we do by joining our Discord with PitcherList Plus at PitcherList.com slash plus.